How's everybody doing again? Good. All right. Bobby, Riley, sorry about the mic, guys. Thank you so much for reading that this morning. Again, uh, my name's Josiah. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my joy uh, to bring God's Word today. Um, and uh, I, no, I'm not the one, if you're new here, um, who is typically doing this. Um, uh, but uh, it's my privilege. It's my joy. And so uh, I get to do that for us today. And it's, uh, it's exciting. Um, I want to, could you guys do me a favor real quick? Would, would you mind, would, if you're able to, would you stand back to your feet? Um, open your Bibles again to what we just read and go to the very end. I want to read this together, the last two verses here um, of 4, 12 through 13. And I want us to read it together, um, believing what we're reading under the authority of Scripture and believing that God's Word is living. God's Word is active for us today. So can we do that real quick? Everybody there? Chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Let's read it together. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Jesus, we stand before you as your people and we humble ourselves underneath the authority of your word. God, we don't stand upon your word and impose our own authority into it, but we stand underneath it. And we believe that you are speaking today. We believe that you have something good for us. So we open our hands to receive. Would you open our ears to hear and our hearts? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Um, a quick word to, to all the kids here. Um, so glad that you're here. You got your little handouts. I want to just quickly encourage you today. This may feel different and be different. Than maybe, maybe you haven't sat in an adult service before. Maybe you have. Well, I want to encourage you today, kids, to press in, to hear. Because I believe, we believe as a church, that God wants to speak to you just as much to the, as, as the adults this morning. And so you have a paper there. Do this. The things that you hear today, write them down. The things that stick out to you. The things that you don't understand, the words that you hear, write those down and have a conversation. Talk to your mom and dad after service today about it. Amen? Cool? Everybody good? Rest. What is rest? What is rest? Where do we get it? Where do we find rest? How do we define it? I know uh, myself, I have a hard time finding rest. I'm one of those people who... I can go 110 miles an hour, um, and I feel good. And, and I, just, I just work and work and work and work. This week is one of those weeks. And I still, I'm still not feeling the exhaustion, honestly. This week has been crazy. We're, um, we're moving uh, today. Um, I'm packing. My wife's been carrying the bulk of that. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm preparing a sermon. Preparing a sermon for me is not easy. Um, on top of you know, my normal 40-hour-a-week job, um, and playing a harvest festival yesterday, music, you know, so it's just been a crazy week. And, um, and uh, you know, rest it does not come um, naturally to me, um, but I'm thankful for a wife who she fights, she guards me, she guards my heart, um, and she guards our household so well um, to find rest. She really does, and I'm so thankful for you, Ryan, wherever you're at. Um, 
because you really do. You, you guard our household, and you are the one who is, are, is always fighting for that moment to rest. Because what, naturally what I will do is I will just go until I'm exhausted, and then I'll rest, right? Until I can't go anymore, and then, I, okay, i got to stop. But really, finding rest is a fight. You know, and so the question is, will we just you know, rest when we're exhausted, or will we fight for the rest along the way so that we may keep going, right? Um, if you're familiar with the story of the Israelites, then you know that at one time they were slaves and under the rule of Pharaoh in Egypt. But God delivered them from their slavery, and he promised to bring them to a land, aptly called the promised land but along the way they had the journey they had a journey through the the wilderness for actually 40 years 40 years they journeyed through this wilderness and the author of hebrews here he's been building an argument uh, since the beginning of hebrews um, that jesus is better he's better than angels he's better than moses he's better than the law um and he is, uh, he, he's the better older brother, right? If we look at the prodigal son, the, the parable of the prodigal son, he's, he didn't scorn the younger brother. He didn't, he didn't scorn us when we were, weren't doing what we were uh, supposed to be doing, but he went out and got us and brought us into the father's household. And then what we just read last week, um, that if we hold fast, we are the household of God, if we hold fast to our confession and our hope, who is our hope? Jesus. And the author this week, he says, therefore, understanding this, therefore, he begins to introduce a warning. He introduces a warning for us. And, but he does it through a super familiar story to the hearers. What would have been a really familiar story um, coming through the eyes of David in Psalm 95. He quotes Psalm 95 here in Hebrews chapter 3. And there's a couple observations before I get to the warning that I just want to make up front. And when he says this, this very short phrase, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, two observations. One, the author affirms that this is God's word. This is God speaking, right? He, he chooses not to say, David says, he's quoting his words, but he chooses to say the Holy Spirit says, So he affirms that this is the word of God. This is God speaking. The second thing he affirms, if you notice, that it is present tense. The Holy Spirit says. He affirms that God is still speaking. To his hearers, he said, God is speaking. He says to you a thousand years after what he's quoting. Right? And so we can believe today as we come to God's word that this is God's word to us and that he is speaking to us. Amen? So the warning. What is the warning that he gives us? It's this, that unbelief is what kept the Israelites out of the promised land. This promised land, the land of Canaan, it was uh, synonymous with God's rest. When he says in the, in the scriptures here that they shall not enter my rest, he's meaning this land, right? But it was also a foreshadow. It was meant to point forward that we know now today and what the hearers are, are learning here is that this was to point them to a future rest, a day where we all will enter God's rest ultimately. When Jesus will return and that we will be with God, we will know God like we are fully known. 
But um, for the sake of the story, he goes and he, he tells them that we're going to enter this rest. But Israelite, the Israelites did not enter the rest because they did not believe. So he says, take care, guard your hearts, guard against this unbelief, guard yourself Put yourself in the hope of Jesus Christ. If you're going to put your hope in anything else, if you're going to, then, then, you, then you will fail. Then it will lead to death. If you want to put your hope in Moses, go ahead. But listen, he, he died in the wilderness along with the rest of the Israelites who didn't believe in God. Who didn't believe that God would fulfill what he promised them. So take care because sin is dangerous. And sin is constant. The same as it was for them, is so is for you, people of God. And who were the people that rebelled? He imposes this question, he asks the question, he says, who were those who heard and rebelled? It was the people of God. The people who knew God, the chosen people of God, rebelled. And, and these were the ones who were rescued, right? They were pulled out of slavery. They, they, in the process of this, they saw God's miraculous works. I mean, they saw the Passover, for crying out loud. They, they walked across the dry ground when God split the waters. They saw the pillar of cloud they saw by day, the pillar of fire by night that led them. They ate of this miraculous bread, whatever you want to call it, called manna, that sprouted up from the ground because they were hungry. They saw God use Moses to burst water out of a rock when they were thirsty and yet they didn't believe this is who he's talking about in context that these are the people who rebelled these are the people who didn't believe but what caused them to have an unbelieving heart what would cause in context here what would cause them to not believe after seeing all these things well, we just talked about they were in the wilderness, right? They had to walk 40 years in the wilderness. And they had legitimate concerns. Okay, these weren't like, you know, bougie people, right? They, they were actually, they were suffering. There were moments of real suffering. They were really hungry. And they were suffering to the point that they actually said, you know, they, I think they were just probably, you know, this often happens where we kind of rewrite the narrative, but they, they're like, mate, Maybe we should just go back to Egypt. What are we doing here? Moses, did you lead us out here to die? At least we had food there. And they were suffering to the point where they doubted. And unbelief started settling into their hearts. Every person before us, every person after us, will face suffering. We're not exempt from that. So the question is, what happens when you encounter the suffering? Because you may be tempted when you face this type of suffering to rewrite the narrative, to question, what, what, did that really happen? Was that for real? Can I really trust in what, did God do that? Was he in that? Is he in this now? And then unbelief starts settling into our hearts. You know, Jesus was tempted. The Bible tells us in every way, right? He was tempted to sin. He was tempted to doubt but he was faithful to the end. And what the author wants to do throughout the book of Hebrews, and we'll learn more about this, but that we can look to Jesus, that we can fix our eyes upon him 
who did it perfectly for us. And he doesn't give us just the warning here of unbelief. He gives us the antidote. He gives us how to overcome unbelief in verse 13. Read it with me here. But, um, but you too fall away from... from but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The exhortation of the church body is the antidote for unbelief. The exhortation of the church body. What is our goal as a church? It's to make it to the end. Our goal as believers in Christ is to make it to the end. To persevere. Imagine a community group, our community groups that meet weekly, that had this type of mentality, had this type of sentiment. That every time we gathered, it was because and for the purpose of persevering, of making it to the end. And so we'd gather together to bear with one another, to fight for one another, to ultimately prove one another to be true believers in Christ. That we would not allow doubt to settle into our hearts, but we would encourage one another with the gospel. And we would gather for this purpose so that we ultimately might share with Christ together when He returns. Perseverance of the saints is one of the most comforting doctrines that I know of. And it, it says this in a nutshell, if we have saving faith, we will persevere to the end. We'll make it to the end. And if we persevere, if we make it to the end, we will prove that we have saving faith. You will make it to the end because you are God's. Capital G-O-D apostrophe S, right? Not that we're God's. <laughs> um, that we are God's, His, right? Um, teaching heresy up here. Um, but that we are His. We'll make it to the end because we're His. And we're His if we make it to the end. There's great comfort in knowing this. And guys, I, ex- I experience the grace of God through every time we meet together. Every time I come on Sundays, I've sa- I think I said this last week when we were singing together, but every time we gather on Sundays, even when I'm not prepared for it, even when my mind's not in a state that it should be, I experience the grace of God through you. Every time I gather with my community group, even when I don't want it, and I'm like, man, I just it's been a long day. Do we have to have people over? Yes, I do say that, people who are in my community group, that all... <laughs> That, 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 that does come into my mind. I am human. And there's times that I don't want to get together. But let me tell you, every time I do, I experience God's grace through you. This is how it's supposed to be. This is how it's set up. That we're reminded of the gospel together. So quick recap. What's our objective as a church? What's our goal? To, to make it to the end. Right? How? What's our strategy? To encourage, right? To exhort one another as the church. As long as it is called today, the Bible tells us. As long as it's today, exhort one another so that you might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How and what's our reason, I mean? Because we're all susceptible to the deceit of sin. We're all susceptible to doubting. And we know that doubting leads to disobedience. And the Bible clearly says here, That it was unbelief. It was unbelief that kept them out. 
we see that they were unable to enter his rest because of unbelief. Verse 19. Now, every time we have a warning, warnings are good, right? We can kind of at first think, wow, warnings, uh, you know, that's kind of harsh. Like, why would somebody say that? It's not very nice. But warnings are good. Because if somebody warns you of something, they actually care about you. Right? I mean, why would somebody warn you of anything if they didn't care about you? So a warning is good for us, church. And we must understand this, that when we hear a warning from Scripture, and the author here warns the people, we don't come and put up a wall, but we come and say, tell me, please, like, may we not be so prideful to think that we have it all under, you know, under control and that we get it all. But we come to the Scripture as our authority and we say, God, show me. Show me, show me what I need to hear. So how do we enter the rest? Because ultimately the author wants us to be in God's rest. Ultimately, I, I want us. Hopefully you want to be in God's rest. So let us hear how we enter God's rest. And I'm going to, just for the remainder of the passage through chapter 4, I'm going to talk about three things, um, how we enter God's rest. And I'll give them to you up front. Um, number one, we enter God's rest by believing. We enter by believing. Number two, we enter with urgency. And number three, we enter with diligence. Number one, we enter by believing. Four, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. If unbelief is what produces disobedience that leads to death, then continued belief, it should be understood, continued belief is what keeps us and what proves our citizenship in heaven. It's belief in what? Belief in the good news. Belief in the gospel. He says that belief came to them just as to us. We must believe in this gospel. Belief in the good news is essential for our salvation. They're synonymous with rest. We talk about rest. We're talking about our salvation. And salvation is a process. It's a process. Some of you are under the assumption and have lived a life of under assumption that you are saved because you said a prayer when you were six years old and you committed your, your weeks to go into youth group diligently. Maybe you say grace before your dinners. But this alone, guys, this alone is, does not constitute salvation. Salvation is a process. It begins with... Kids, I'm going to give some big words, okay? But I'm going to explain them. Big words. Begins with regeneration. God gives us... This means God gives us a new heart. He allows us to believe in Him. He gives us a new heart. If we were to parallel this with the story of Egypt, this is God rescuing us from our slavery. Right? And then there's the justification. But what this means is that when we stand before God, He doesn't see our sin any longer. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And we're able to stand in His presence. Even though we have a a long history of things that we've done wrong, we can stand before God rightly because Jesus has done it. We can parallel this with the story of the Israelites in that God giving us an identity. He called the people his own. He gave them a name. He said, you will be my people. I will be your God. God calls us his own. 
And then there's sanctification. This is, this is the process. This is the ongoing process that we're in, right? This is the day-in and day-out struggle. This is the ongoing renewing of our minds. This is admitting when we fail and mess up to God and to others. Confessing our sins, the Bible calls it. And then allowing God to transform our hearts. To give us new minds. To give us new hearts. To not want to do the things that we used to do any longer. God sanctifies us. We can call this the wilderness. That we're in the moment here where we're traveling and there's suffering and there's hard things that we go through. But we must trust in God. And then ultimately there is glorification. This is the promised land. This is where we will be with God. We will know God as we are fully known. And God will bring us to His rest. And all of these, for the believer, are fixed in place. You don't have to do anything. They're fixed in place. Every single one of them. And what will prove them to be true for you is that you believe in the gospel. Is that you continue to believe in the gospel. Saints, Jesus, His life and His death and His resurrection... They have just as much to do with your present, current life and the things that you go through now as they do with your conversion. Kids, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has much to do, has much to do with what you go through in life now as it does with Jesus saving you and giving you a new heart. We must believe that it has meaning for us. Does it bear any weight in your life? Does it have any bearing on what you do? Does the gospel of Jesus living a life perfectly for you, dying on a cross and then rising again from the grave, have any bearing on your life, in your day-to-day life? Waking up in the morning, going to work, eating meals, cooking, cleaning, interacting with friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, your marriage. Because it should. It should. That we learn the phrase, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Pastor Ryan, we need a whole sermon to talk about that. And we will one day. Next week. week. (laughs) I wish we just had time just to talk about how to preach the gospel to yourself. How to apply these things to your life. Well, we don't today. But learn the phrase, how do you preach the gospel to yourself? The gospel is applicable to all of life. But even the faith you have is not your own. So believing is true. But even when you believe, this belief is not your own. You didn't just conjure up this belief. The fact that you believe has nothing for you to boast in. When viewed rightly, we actually boast in Jesus more. It turns us to Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8-10 through 10 tells us this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You get no credit. Basically what it means. You get no credit. It's all His. God gets all the credit. He gets all of the glory in this whole process. God ensures our salvation, and He ensures it all the way to the end. It is His doing. But how? 
Well, God uses all kinds of means to ensure this. And fear is not exempt from that list. Fear is actually a key component in the Christian walk, in our spiritual life. Let me explain this. Um, Well, first, if you don't believe me, Matthew 10, 28, Jesus himself says, God, um, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. But does it mean, before we go any further, does it mean that God wants us to just fear constantly? To just live in a constant state of fear? Fearing all things? Absolutely not. Just a few verses. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has nothing to, for, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. As a Christian, we do not fear anything in life. No person, no circumstance, no situation. Why should we fear? What is there to fear? But yet he says in here, fear. What does he say? Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So let me try to explain this real quick. Kids, when you were younger, and and hopefully your parents said very sternly to you, do not walk out into the road. If you do, you could get hit by a car and die. Okay? This is serious, right? And hopefully, it instilled in you a little bit of fear of the road. But you don't walk around your life, right? Do you wake up in the morning fearing the road? You probably don't even think about the road. But maybe you've experienced every now and again where your ball ran out or rolled out into the road, your skateboard rolled out into the road, or maybe somebody dared you to go cross the road in traffic, and in that moment you felt the fear of the road. But as soon as you were back onto your side of the street in your backyard, the road was out of sight. This is the same for us, much the same as Christians. That God uses fear for the purpose of bringing us back into the safe place of our backyard, of our Father's house. Fear will arise in us. God will use fear so that we might fear where it's dangerous, where we're not supposed to be. And then we would turn and we'd run and we'd go back into our safe backyard with our Father. That's why we ought to fear. And so what do we fear? Do we fear God? Do we, do we fear circumstances? No, of course not. We fear unbelief. We fear faithlessness. For these are the things that would keep us out of God's rest. Fear faithlessness. Enter with urgency. Point number two, we enter with urgency. This rest is not far off for for us. This rest is near for us. Yes, it points to a day. But there's also a current day. It says today, right? The point of verse 3, where he quotes again, and quick side note, anytime an author of the Bible repeats himself very repetitively, that's repetitive in itself, um, 
is because his hearers, he knows, they, they struggle with this concept. And so he repeats himself often. In verse 3, when he says, As I swore my wrath, this is God speaking, they shall not enter my rest. The point here is not to say that we will not enter God's rest. The point is to emphasize my rest. To say that this is a personal rest that God offers. This is his rest that he offers to us. And it's a personal invitation. The closest example, and I stole this from somebody else, but I think it's, it's pretty good. If you imagine your, yourself that you were invited to the prince's castle, right? He invited you over to hang out with him. And you got to do all the things that the prince got to do. And all of his wealth and all of his glory that he gets to experience. Just imagine, whatever you want to imagine the prince can do, right? He invites you over to be a part of that. To do that with him. That's what God invites us into. That there is a a rest that God experiences himself that he invites us into. It's God's rest. It's God's rest that he invites us into. There is a, a consummation of rest that one day we look to. That one day we will be with Jesus and glory Jesus come back quickly. But there is also and was an inauguration of rest. There was a beginning to a rest. And it started way back in the beginning, in creation. What the author here is pulling out for us is that in the beginning, when God created all things, His work, included in that work, was salvation. Included in that work. And then when He says He rested on the seventh day, included in that, <coughs> excuse me, was this rest that we can still enter. It, it remains for us today to, to enter into It remains for his people. We can enjoy the rest that God offers us through the gospel. When we believe in the gospel, we rest from our works. Ephesians 1.4 says this, He chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can enter into a rest today. We can rest from our works just as God himself rested from all his work. He invites us into that through Jesus. And the sternness of this is that. And I, and I have to believe in what... What often, honestly, brings me tears and keeps me up is that not every single person in this room will enter that rest one day. Not every person will enter that rest. But the point is this, that the rest is available today. The rest is here today. And you're not promised tomorrow, but you are promised the rest today. That today is the day of salvation. And that it is here for all. But the Bible is clear that not all will receive that. And that there will be some that reject that. What will you decide to do today? Will you enter with diligence? The third point. Will you enter with diligence? This may sound like a contradiction. Let's read verse 11 real quick before... Verse 11 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience that the Israelites did. 
This may sound like a contradiction to believing in the gospel, where we rest from our works, when he says strive to enter God's rest. Strive, fight. But make no mistake, guys, this walk of faith that we walk in, it's not a cakewalk, right? There is work in believing. There is work in believing. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know this, that it's not easy. It's hard sometimes to believe. What is the work? What is the striving? Well, it's anything. It's the fighting off of anything that would cause you to doubt and and have unbelief. To walk in faithlessness. It is the fighting, the warding off this. It is worth it to fight for rest. And not just wait until you're utterly exhausted. It is worth it for you to seek rest every day. Do that through the church. Do that through your brothers and sisters. So that you might be encouraged and built up in the gospel again. The work of... Um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both the will and to work for His good pleasure. Philippians 2.12-13 There's no such thing... As a second-rate Christian. In God's kingdom, there is no such thing as a second-rate Christian. I believe that. And Christian, God has given you the power to overcome sin, to believe in Him, to put your trust in Him, and to walk in faith every single moment of your life. You are not second-rate. There are not elite Christians Every Christian has a spirit of God in them to be able to walk in faith, to be able to believe and to walk out this life. You will overcome by his power. And you may feel today, you may feel today just really defeated by all this. I pray not, but you may still feel that, man, I just, I doubt, I struggle. I just, sometimes I can't believe, even in this moment as you're talking to Josiah, I just can't have a hard time believing that. I feel super low about all of this. None of this builds me up. Well, understand this. I don't mean to come and to question anything, because here's the point. You put your faith in Jesus today, and He will restore you. He is a faithful God. John Flavel says this amazing quote, As God did not first choose you because you were high, He will not forsake you because you are low. God did not choose you because you were incredible. He will not forsake you because you feel low and you feel unworthy. Make no mistake about it, we all are unworthy. But God is faithful to the end. And he is worthy of our devotion. I'm going to close with this passage. Philippians 3, 12 through 4, 1. And just hear this. If you want to close your eyes, if you want to... I want us to hear the words of Paul to the Philippian church. And his encouragement to them. And his challenge to them. And it will be on the screen for us. It says... 
He, Paul here saying, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining t- forward toward the prize toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their belly is their God, and their glory, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. We have a faithful God. None of this causes us to feel low, but hopefully the Spirit of God will empower you to feel His presence again today. That God is a good Father. He is a good Father to us. And that we ask for things, He's not going to give us like an earthly father. What, the Bible tells us, what, what earthly father, if a son asked for something, asked for food, he would give him a rock, right? What earthly father would do that? And how much more your heavenly Father? When you ask, he, will He not give you the Holy Spirit? Church, you have the Holy Spirit. You have what it takes to persevere. You have the power inside of you to overcome unbelief and to walk in faithfulness. May we believe that today. May we stand to our feet. Let's sing this song together, believing that God is our faithful Father. And let's rejoice in that truth.